Good morning. Let's begin with prayer this morning. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to come and study again. We ask that your spirit will join us, that our hearts will uh, come to know you better, that our minds will be enlightened. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing lesson number eight in our quarterly glimpses of our God, and the title this week is Creation Care. And before we actually get into this week's lesson, I I received an email from one of our online listeners uh, regarding the lesson we had on the Sabbath and the um, doing activities of ministry and work on Sabbath afternoon to help others. And and this is what uh, the person wrote. Dear Dr. Jennings, in a recent Sabbath school class, you asked the class to think of ways they might serve God in the community on Sabbath. My church was Wasatch Hills uh, SDA Church in Salt Lake City has a program uh, started by a couple of its members called Inner City Outreach, ICOR, Inner City Outreach. Uh, church members routinely clean out their closets and bring cloth- clothing items and that are in good condition t- to a collection bin in our church um, coat closet. During the winter months, we have about seven of them. <laughs> seven winter months, can you imagine? <laughs> yeah. That's probably why I don't live there, right? Right, Christy? Yeah. But, um, yes. Anyway, we have about seven of them. These items are taken to the city park nearest the homeless shelter and given to the homeless. Some people choose to contribute monetarily, and these funds are used to buy new items, backpacks, thermal underwear, coats, warm uh, head coverings, and Bibles, which are also given away. Some have uh, even conducted their own coat drives or clothing drives uh, at places of business or among the circle of friends to help collect for the, for the needy. Volunteers, about uh, 25 people from the church, distribute items along with smiles, prayers, cookies, hot chocolate over the course of a couple of hours on Sabbath afternoon, uh, and then uh, that following their service. Volunteers meet uh, to sort the items in the bins uh, during the week, and this makes it easier and also is a time for fellowship. Uh, the mission has not only helped serve our community, but has been an invaluable lesson in human hu- humility for the participants. The first time someone who hasn't bathed for a few days wants to give you a hug as an expression of heartfelt gratitude can be a little uncomfortable, but it's not long before you're the one offering the hug. Uh, the Sabbath work comes with a huge paycheck, the opportunity to experience love, mercy, compassion, charity, and understanding in action. God has blessed i and through i we are blessed. Thank you for your ministry and for our liberating, uh, uh, liberated my love for our wonderful God. So I just thought I wanted to share that with you guys. So there are people that are already putting in action some of the things. So that's great. Um, Sabbath, uh, as we look to our lesson today, the first uh, two paragraphs says, What should we as Seventh-day Adventists think about the environment, especially because we know that this earth is corrupted, will continue to be corrupted, and will one day be destroyed, burned up in the great lake of fire? And the elements shall melt with a fervent heat, and the earth also, and the works that therein shall be burned up, 2 Peter 3.10. Add to this the biblical injunction about humans having dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over the every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And it's no wonder that at times we struggle with how to relate to the environmental concerns. At the same time, as stewards of God's gifts, don't we have an obligation to care for, uh, to take care of the earth? After all, didn't God create it and pronounce it very good? As a people with a distinct message about God as creator, shouldn't we have something to say about the question of how to treat God's creation? My, my first thought when I read this was, should Seventh-day Adventists and Christians of other faiths view the environment differently? I see some heads nodding. We should. And if so, why? Why should Seventh-day Adventists and Christians of other faiths have a different view on the environment? What would make a difference? Different than what? What are you comparing it to? Each other. Different view of the environment than each other. Or should Christians, if you're Christians, basically have a common view of the environment? Because they emphasize this idea as, we, we, what should we as Seventh-day Adventists think? And I was thinking, why didn't they say, what should we as Christians think? Is it, is it something distinct to some of the Adventists to have a view of the environment? Or does Christianity itself say something about our view of the environment? If you think there's a difference be, that our, our perspective gives us, what would that difference be that, that others might not appreciate? If our perspective is we believe in the soon coming, I mm-hmm. suppose that could make some difference. I was listening to J103 this week. I don't know if you've listened to that station. It's a Christian station here in town, plays music. And the, the, it was actually yesterday, and they were talking about this very thing, that we as Christians believe that the second coming is imminent. This was just right on the airways. 
uh, that Christ could come at any time, and we need to be ready to meet Christ when he comes. Um, we don't know when it's going to be, but as Christians, we believe the end of time is near. This was, I didn't really hear a distinction that most Christians don't believe that when looking around at the world and what's happening. Some Christians might believe that, uh, if, and I don't know all the theology of what they particularly have, but um, they believe that Jesus either ra- you're raptured or whatever, and then Jesus sets up his kingdom on this earth, and there's a thousand years of peace. So one might look at it a little differently if you thought that life would continue here indefinitely without something else changing in between. Okay. Maybe. Possibly. Maybe. Yeah. I, I don't know. No, no, I, I think that's a, a thought to explore. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, what do you understand our responsibility as stewards of the earth to be? Do we have a responsibility as stewards of the earth? Yes. People are most important. I think that was a beautiful answer. Our responsibility is to people. For what, and, and what kind of responsibility do we have for people? What kind of responsibility? How, are, how, how do we have a responsibility to be a steward to help people? In what way? Aren't we partners in helping keep the winds of evil? I mean, aren't we supposed to partner with God in that regard? And any little thing that we can do to be good stewards of the earth that he created may have some impact on that aspect. I like that, yes. Even though the world has fallen and, and sin is, is degenerating things, it would seem that we, we as Christians, if we understand God and his paradigms for the universe, would want to, as closely as we could, keep the, you know facilitate that in what's left of the earth. Obviously, it is degenerating, and we can't stop. And Satan works, I think, to cause more problems. But certainly, you would try to, the way you relate to the environment and stuff would be within the laws that God has already designed. I mean, that would make the most sense. I like that, operating as best we can in harmony with God's design for things. I think that's great. Yes. Christianity should have a unique view, number one, of the origins of creation, and number two, of what what nature and what the environment tells us about the Creator. And we have an obligation to share that and to reveal that, not only in our lives uh, and, and to our families and to our friends and to unbelievers. So, so I like that very much, too, the, a perspective, an understanding of, of what we see in nature that we can explain it in a way that makes sense. Yeah, I like that, too. Is the earth here for our use? I think the world's mindset is that we have to save ourselves. So they do everything in their power to save the world when it isn't savable. And and we do this then they do the same thing with their physical bodies. They focus on and not that they shouldn't be healthy people, but they focus on saving themselves. Well, there is this view mother earth. Mm-hmm. You know, and so this view that we didn't come from God, we came from mother earth. Right. And we need to take care of mother earth. Um if, kind of was kind of depicted in a certain way in that movie Avatar. Yeah. You saw the movie Avatar. You know, there's this intelligence in the earth, and the intelligence in the earth will, you know, if we care for the earth, the earth will save us. Exactly. Yeah, kind of pantheistic in some ways. But but the earth is obviously here. God built this as uh, as our home, and so it is a habitat built for our health and our welfare. I mean, the air that we breathe, the water, the food that we eat. And as you think about the foods, I think we obviously will recognize things like fruits and nuts and and grains and and after sin vegetables. Um, <laughs> um, but what about dairy and Goat and cow cheese and milk and and eggs uh, is, is that is that put here for our for our use or or what about fish or what about raising animals uh, on farms for the purpose of killing them and eating them what about that are there reasons not to raise animals on farms for the purpose of killing them if the practices are cruel that's immoral are there reasons to raise animals on farms for the purpose of killing them. And, and eating them. Well, in, in the Bible, did they raise flocks? Sure. And, and were they? And they were raising these animals on their farm, their flocks. And, and weren't they instructed to kill those animals? And weren't the priests supposed to eat the meat of those animals? Huh. 
That's interesting. That was not plan A. That was not plan A. No. Plan A was that they not sin. So let's, let's talk a minute, though. This is not God's original design. Then why did God have them do it? It wasn't his plan A, so why have them do it? Right after the flood, there was nothing else to eat. No, 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 we're not even at the flood yet. We're, we're, we're before the flood. They're already, they're already raising animals for the purpose of sacrificing. Abraham, uh, well, Abraham's after the flood, but beforehand, the patriarchs were sacrificing animals on the altar. Abel, Abel brought his animal to sacrifice. Okay, so why did God have them do this if it wasn't his plan A? Symbolism Okay, so what kind of symbolism do we get from it? The Lamb of God. Okay, so we get a, a teaching tool about a problem that we're in, a problem that if we understand uh, God's, what, God's law, who can describe God's law for us? His design, what is this? His design for life, which earth was built upon? Giving. The principle of giving. Love, the principle of beneficence. What happens when you step out of harmony with that? You die. So how does the sacrificial system show that? What, do you just walk up and kill the animal or do you do something first? You slit its throat. Before you slit its throat, do you do something? <laughs> you confess your sin on the head of the animal and then you cut the throat. And the life blood, the life is in the blood in circles. It's never ending circle. And there's a symbolism that, hey, uh, God's design is broken by sin. And when you break the design, life can't continue. Th- this is part of the lesson. Christ then was also part of the lesson. The Lamb of God is coming to, to take this condition upon himself to restore us back to God's design, to heal us, to fix it. But I'm wondering if there's more than that. Do you guys remember? Because they were also to eat the meat. And I just want to kind of, we are so degraded. Some of us actually, when you think about eating meat, will start salivating. Mm. Wow, that tastes good. I like that. Oh. Yeah. Do you guys remember the story? True story. Uh, plane crash in the Andes, 1972. Yeah. There was a, uh, I think it was a soccer team. Over, they crashed over 11,000 feet. And uh, the, many, of the, many of the people were killed in the crash, but some survived. About 26 survived. And um, they were there, stranded over 11,000 feet, with there's nothing but ice and snow. There's no vegetation. There's no animals. There's nothing to eat, no food. And they were there for two months, stranded for two months. What did they eat? The dead, the dead, yes. The dead humans. Now, do we understand this was an emergency situation? Do we understand that they had a choice between dying or surviving by eating the flesh of these humans? My question to you is, understanding this emergency situation, while there might be a necessity to survive in this emergency, do you think on some level they, as well as if you were in that situation while you were doing it, would be sickened on some level while you're doing it? Yes? Do you think, if we really come back into harmony with God's design in our hearts, that in this emergency situation we find ourselves on planet Earth, that when we have to kill an animal and eat it, we on some level should be sickened by it? And if we're not sickened on some level, does that give us an insight as to how calloused we've become? And I'm thinking, you understand that in God's design, if we go back into the Bible, when I mentioned to you about the flocks, and they would bring their, their animal to confess the sin over, they were bringing the animals they had themselves raised. They weren't going into a restaurant where they never saw the animal and just had the, the, the steak served to them. So imagine you taking your pet that you've raised from a puppy or a kitten, and you have to look in its eyes and confess your sins, and then you have to kill it, and then you eat it. Does that, is, that as, is that as appealing to you? No. No. This is part of the lesson God wanted people to understand. He wanted us to be sick. We should be sick of what sin has done to his creation. It's sickening. But we're not. We twist it and turn it and 
and embrace it and enjoy it on some level. Proverbs has an appropriate text that says, A righteous man regardeth the life of his beast, but the tender mercies of the wicked are cruel. Ooh, yes, I think that's a very insightful passage. Let's move off of the, the animals for a minute. We will come back to them in a moment. What about harvesting trees for building houses? We're thinking about our environment now, caring for our environment. Or for firewood or for paper or furniture. Did they do this in Eden? God's original design, were they cutting trees down to build things? Why are we doing it now? We're cold. Ah, so, nicely said. Nicely said. H- has something changed about planet Earth that we're, is Earth like God designed it? No. No. Now, this is a, a book called Patriarchs and Prophets, page 57. It says, After his transgression, Adam at first imagined himself entering a higher state of existence, but soon the thought of his sin filled him with terror. The air, which had hitherto been of mild and uniform temperature, seemed to chill the guilty pair. The love and peace which had been theirs was gone, and in its place they felt a sense of sin, a dread of the future, a nakedness of soul. The robe of light which had enshrouded them now disappeared, and to supply its place they endeavored to fashion for themselves a covering, for they could not, while unclothed, meet the eyes of God and holy angels. And, in verse, and on page 61, In humility and unutterable sadness they bade farewell to their beautiful home and went forth to dwell upon the earth, where rested the curse of sin. The atmosphere, once so mild and uniform in temperature, was now subject to marked changes, and the Lord mercifully provided them with a garment of skins as a protection from the extremes of heat and cold. So do we find that we do things today out of necessity because of what sin has done to God's creation? We think of Romans chapter 8 where Paul says, All nature groans under the weight of sin, out of necessity from the way things are. So did it become necessary because of sin to use animals for clothing? Evidently it did. God himself gave them their first skins. Maybe he just created skins without creating the animals, then killing them first. Maybe he could have done that. And we use the trees for shelter and heat, and, uh, and the food supply changed also. Are these changes, though, healthy and good, or while they are adaptive to us and help us survive, they're also simultaneously destructive? For instance, we use trees because of the situation of the earth, but what happens when we deforest the earth? We're using them to build houses, to burn, to burn for firewood, and so forth and so on. If we can pursue deforestation for our own development, at some point, does it become destructive to our own environment? Just compare yeah. Haiti and the Dominican Republic. Yeah, I haven't been to either. Can you shed some light for us? Haiti's deforested, so they same have very island. poor soil. It's the same island. Dominican Republic has so much produce that you don't even have to work. You can just go pick things off the trees. Interesting. Okay, see, I see. I did not know that. I had not been there. Yeah, so deforestation really is destructive. Yeah. While, while there is a certain necessity, if we push it too far... It becomes harmful. So back to the issue of eating animals then. While it may be adaptive, help us survive in certain situations, there's certain parts of the world that may be the healthiest thing to eat because there's nothing else to eat. Does it also have its downsides? Does it also cause harm? What kind of harm might this cause? Well, you guys know the obvious stuff, right? Increased cancers, increased cardiovascular disease. Do you know it also increases autoimmune diseases? Uh, there is a, uh, anybody remember hearing H1N1? <laughs> H1N1 was a flu virus, right? The N in H1N1 stands for a, a marker on the surface of cells. In this case, it's a sugar marker, sialic acid, and the N stands specifically for new 5GC. I know you want to remember that. But, but here's, the, here's the point. These, these markers are like identifiers on the surfaces of cells that helps our body and immune system identify self from non-self. And they also act as little hooks or little latches that molecules can attach to to enter the cell. What's interesting is that the human genome, we have in our genetics, our genome, a gene to produce this 
particular marker. But in all humans, the gene is turned off. It's suppressed. We do not express it. We have the gene, but we don't make the marker. All other animals make the marker and express the marker. This is one way they tell the difference between chimpanzee blood and human blood at a scene of a crime, for instance, at a zoo or whatever. They want to know the difference. They look for this particular marker, the N marker, the, from the H1N1, that N, and uh, the chimpanzee blood will express it. Our blood will not express it. Well, what's interesting is because we have a gene for this, even though it's being suppressed, when we eat animal products, food, food with, with animal proteins and things in it, cells, our body will assimilate this marker and stick it on our cell surfaces, and suddenly we will express it. Not that we're making it. We're taking the animal marker and putting it on our cells, and our cells will now express this marker. And our immune system, in some people, will react to that and say, hey, not me. And we begin to having autoimmune disorders and increasing autoimmune reactive stuff happening in our bodies because this is being expressed in our cell service. It also makes us more vulnerable Meat-eating people were more vulnerable to the H1N1 flu than, than people who were vegan because this marker is the, is the hook that the H1N1 would, would grab onto in order for the virus to enter the cell. And if you are a vegan, you didn't have that marker on your cells, and so you're less vulnerable to being infected by the H1N1 flu. I just found that interesting as I was preparing this week. So, so maybe, it, maybe there's a, a, an adaptation that we eat meat in order to survive, but is there a price to pay when we do? Is there a cost, a consequence? Yes? Our body is not designed to metabolize or digest meat. Um, the carnivorous animals that eat meat, they have four or five times more hydrochloric acid in their intestine. Their bowels are much shorter, and um, they have the big incisor teeth to eat meat. We don't have all that in our body. So... Um, Question. Those carnivorous animals, did God design them to eat meat? No. Well, then how did they get four to five more times hydrochloric acid and incisors? And I want to know. <laughs> okay. How did they get that? Does nature today represent the way God built things? No. This is out of uh, Second Selected Messages, page 288. I found this insightful. See if you agree with this or disagree with this. Christ never planted the seeds of death in the system. Satan planted these seeds when he tempted Adam to eat of the tree of knowledge, which meant disobedience to God. Not one noxious plant was placed in the Lord's great garden, but after Adam and Eve sinned, poisonous herbs sprang up. In the parable of the sower, the question was asked the master, Did thou not sow good seed in thy field? From whence has the tares uh, come? The master answered, An enemy has done this. All tares are sown by the evil one. Every noxious herb is of his sowing, and by his ingenious methods of amalgamation, he has corrupted the earth with tares. What do you understand? First off, do you agree or disagree? Then, what do you think this means? Ingenious methods of amalgamation. He's messing with the code. You alter genes. You know, our genetic code is, 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 we have a bunch of stuff in our DNA called junk DNA. In fact, there's more junk, what's called junk DNA, than DNA is being expressed in our genome. When they look at our chromosomes, look at the number of genes we have, more than half of our DNA is what's called junk DNA. They don't know what it does. It's turned off. They research this a little further. A lot of this junk DNA, guess what? It's non-human in origin. Yes. And, and there's evidence now that suggests that when you eat meat, not only do you get these markers on the proteins that can express on your cell surfaces, but some of the genetic material in the animal you're eating will transfer across the, the membranes of your cells and get incorporated into your genome. And then your body works to suppress it. Your body works to turn this off. We put methyl caps and suppress and turn off some of the... So, so lots of genes in our body we have are turned off or shut down uh, because maybe, my theory, our, gene, our DNA today has been infected with animal DNA. We're not like God built Adam and Eve. We're degraded. 
Now, there's other types of genetic things too, and that's called epigenetics. That's the, the instructions that sit on top of the gene code that tell which genes to turn on and which genes to turn off. This is why every cell of your body having the same DNA sequence does not actually uh, make the same tissue. Your liver tissue is different from your heart tissue, which is different from your bone tissue, which is different from your brain tissue, yet every cell has the exact same DNA in every cell. Why are all these tissues different? Because in each one of those cells, those cells have different instructions telling that the chromosomes in your cells, which ones to express, which ones not to express. And that set of instructions sits above the DNA. That set of instructions is modifiable by the choices you make, the foods that you eat, the things that you believe, the environment you're exposed to. You will alter how that set of instructions is being given to your DNA. And guess what? These are, these are called uh, methyl caps, and, and we, we can basically lock DNA down, or we can unlock DNA and help it express itself. Based on your experience, exposure, and um, activities, you will change how your DNA is expressed. Identical twins at age five have identical chromosomal sequences and express over 95% of their genes are expressed in the same way at age five. Identical twins at age 70, same twins at age 70, still have the same sequencing, but less than 10% of their genes are still expressed in the same way. Life experience has altered how their genes are expressed. Now, What's interesting is this, this expression change that goes on based on your life experiences. When you have kids, you not only pass along the sequencing, you pass along the instructions on how those genes should be expressed to your kids. To three and four generations down. Like the commandment says, the sins of the fathers are passed down three and four generations. And the blessings. The blessings. If we, the overcoming that our grandparents did gets passed on to us. We can actually do that as well. That's exactly right. So... I've always been curious about B12 deficiency and that strict vegetarians have that and what your take is on how that came to be, that we could have a vitamin deficiency that our body requires that vegetarians have that meat eaters don't have. Because uh, most B12 comes from meat products, correct? Um, you don't have to eat meat products to get B12, though. You can get it from, I think, yeast. If we assume that there is no other way to get it other than meat, my hypothesis would be we've, if we've had our gene, genes altered since sin and we, our genes don't function like they originally intended to. After the flood, was the pairs of clean taken as sevens, was that a temporary solution or was that a permanent solution after the, after the flood? Uh, after, yeah, that, that is interesting that at the flood they took seven of the clean and only two of the unclean under the ark. And your question then is? is after the flood was over... Were they supposed to go back to vegetarian diet, or were they supposed to just keep eating meat? Um, you know, I, I believe if you look at the history there, God wanted them to eat meat for a purpose at that time. So they wouldn't live as long. Think that through, guys. Eat meat so they won't live as long. Now, why did he want them not to live as long? Just think how this world would be if people like Nero, Stalin, Hitler live 900 years. Would you really want to, I mean, think, this is what was happening before the flood. People like that were living 900 years. That's no fun. That doesn't sound pleasant to me. It's bad enough for, what was it, four and a half years that, that Nazi Germany did what they did to, to Europe. Could you imagine 900 years? No. So, no, he shortened their lives to reduce the evil in the world. It was a reduction. It was a purpose for reduction evil mercy. Um, still talking about how the earth has changed since the uh, since the since sin existed. Uh, we we have plants that do give us fruits and foods, but we also have plants that give us poisons that and, and noxious things. Uh, we have rains that fresh the earth, but we have storms that destroy. And what about the source of coal and oil? Patriarchs and Prophets 108, it says, At the time of the flood, immense forests were buried. These have since been changed to coal, forming the extensive coal beds that now exist, and also yielding large quantities of oil. The coal and oil frequently ignite and burn beneath the surface of the earth. Thus, rocks are heated, limestone is burned, and iron ore melted. The action of the water upon the lime adds fury to the intense heat and causes earthquakes, volcanoes, and fiery issues. As the fire and water come in contact with ledges of rock and ore, there are heavy explosions underground which sound like muffled thunder. The air is hot and suffocating. Volcanic eruptions follow, and these often 
failing to give sufficient vent to the heated elements, the earth itself is convulsed and ground heaves and swells like the waves of the sea. Great fissures appear and sometimes cities, villages, and, and burn, uh, burning mountains are swallowed up. These wonderful manifestations will be more and more frequent and terrible just before the second coming of Christ and the, and the end of the world as signs of its speedy destruction. Thoughts about that? Any thoughts about the, the or, vast organic deposits? Did they, when God created earth before sin, were these, were there oil deposits and coal fields? No. No. I mean, do you, you think that there, we just take that for granted, don't we? I mean, day to day thinking, do you just take for granted that, you know, these oil deposits and coal fields and so forth and so on? Um, were there volcanoes on the earth the way God built the earth? No, there weren't volcanoes. Were there earthquakes and fractured tectonic plates? No, they weren't here the way God built the earth. How about oceans and tidal waves? There were seas, but not oceans the way God built the earth. No tidal waves. How about polar extremes and these huge ice caps that we have on both poles? Not the way God built the earth. Were there uninhabitable mountains like Mount Everest the way God built the earth? No. When you look around the earth and still see the beauty of the earth, do you, do you also have an awareness that this is nothing like the way God built the earth? Or do we just get so, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Anured. Anured, yes, that's a good word. Thank you. So anured. <laughs> yes, that's just anured. <laughs> yes. That's great. Yes, it just puts you to sleep, doesn't it? Do we just get so, you know, enamored? Yeah, this is another one, inured and enamored with what's going on around us. We forget. So what do you think about the use of fossil fuels? Should we use them for our comfort and convenience? Yeah. Is it sinful to use these products because they harm our environment? Well, this is a book called Education. Maybe you heard of it, page 129. The vast forest buried in the earth at the time of the flood and since changed to coal form the extensive coal fields and yield the supplies of oil that minister to our comfort and convenience. I was, I was glad to read that. <laughs> <laughs> These things, as they are brought to light, are so many witnesses mutely testifying to the truth of God's word. Think that through. I mean, these people, the evolutionary origins of things, where did that vast coal fields and oil fields, how'd they get under there? Millions of years. Really? (laughs) Yeah, think that through. Do you know you can actually find that some of these uh, coal fields where there is a single tree that goes through multiple layers of strata that took millions of years for each strata to be laid down, but there's one tree transversing millions of years? Old trees. Yeah, an old tree, yeah. (laughs) I mean, th- th- this is witness. It witnesses to the truth of the Scripture. But I also like it's there for our comfort. Aren't you glad it's warm in here today? In our room? Yes. Mm-hmm. So what lessons are we learning from the earth? Do we see harmony between the biblical record and the large coal and oil deposits? And what do we learn about the way humans exploit the earth? About God's methods? About breaking God's design? Well, we just finished Sabbath lesson. Let's go to Sunday's lesson. <laughs> Lessons describes people who go into restaurants and steal lobsters and then take them and drop them into sea to set them free. <laughs> lesson describes there's a, there's, a, there's a whole group, there's a network of people nationwide with a website that, that, that are dedicated to going into restaurants and stealing lobsters and taking them out and dropping them in the sea. And then the sixth paragraph says, all of which leads to the question, what about Christians? Indeed, Seventh-day Adventist Christians in the environment. Putting aside the strangeness of the lobster liberators, how should we relate to the environmental concerns? After all, isn't Jesus coming soon? Isn't our whole message predicated on the notion that this world is coming to an end, that this earth is corrupted and not long to last? Given our understanding of the second coming, how concerned need we really be about the earth itself? What do you think? It's going to burn? Who cares? It's going to burn. We've got to live here for now, she said. But it's going to burn. Are yes. we recycling? Are we recycling? Yeah. Hard to do. But then we translate that to ourselves and we say, well, why, you know, why bother staying healthy? I mean, God's going to come and whisk me away one of these days anyway. So, you know, he's Ooh. sovereign and he's in control of everything. And 
I might as well just do and eat what I want because it's going to end soon. I mean, you can't just stop with the earth. It, it ends up being you too. Yeah, I, I like where you're going. I think we want to tie those connections a little tighter. Let's see if we can tighten those up some. I like it. Yes. Being irresponsible for the next generation to be selfish for your own benefit and consume all this stuff for your own use and not consider the generation beyond you. But do we want a next generation? How many want a next generation? How many want the Lord to come soon? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) If you're pregnant and the Lord comes, you get the next generation in a perfect world that's in. Right? But how many want a next generation here? How many want to put off, and you know what, I'm going to put off the Lord's coming for my next generation. I hear what you're saying. I get it. I'm just arguing the other side. Yeah, no, you got a good point. Um, should we spend time focusing on saving the planet? Or should we focus on promoting a healthy environment? Are those t- the same thing? Saving the planet, healthy environment, same thing? We should not focus on saving the planet. It's a useless expenditure of energy. The planet, as it is, cannot be saved. But we should focus on a healthy environment. Those are different. Why? Why are they different? What, why is it appropriate to promote a healthy environment and not, not save the planet? Well, first off, healthy environment is essential for your physical and mental health. And if you don't have a healthy brain, you can't serve and function God to the fullest of your ability if you're not healthy. So, examples. Healthy environment, how an unhealthy environment damages us and obstructs our usefulness in God's cause. Lead paint. How many kids ended up with mental retardation because of lead paint in the environment? They would eat the chips. You know you know what I'm talking about. It's lead paint is banned. How many kids? Tens of thousands. What about EPA? What about what? EPA. Oh, yeah, biphenyl. Um, it's a plastic byproduct. causes an estrogen-like effect, but it also alters gene expression. It increases diabetes, obesity, metabolic problems. If you drink water out of plastic bottles, you're getting some BPA. If you eat food out of cans, cans are lined with plastic, you're getting some BPA. If you have plastic bottles for your infants, you're getting BPA. Um, anything that's, that you're ingesting that's using plastic, well, you will get some exposure to BPA. It's an estrogenic. That's true, and it also alters gene expression, increasing risk of, of metabolic problems. What about it? Glass is better. Glass is better. How about air pollution? Air pollution increases our disease. And if we're, if we have more lung disease, we have more cancer, then we're not as healthy. We can't work as well for the Lord. Can we? So, water pollution. What about the health problems from water pollution? How about the deaths? How about the early deaths where there's not pure water? Infant deaths go sky high in cu- countries where there's not healthy water. Isn't that true? Yes. So, healthy environment, so that we can maximize our usefulness in God's cause, come to know him, witness for him. These, these are very appropriate things, but is that the same thing as trying to save the planet? If it is, I'm missing it, because I don't think this planet can be saved the way it is. Do you? No. All right, Monday is called, called uh, creation care. Talking about creation care and our view of God. Does our view of God impact how we relate to creation? If you view God like a Roman emperor to be served by those beneath him. If that's how God is, and we're to be like God, do we relate differently to those life forms beneath us? If God is like Jesus Christ, he who did not think equality with God was something to be grasped, but humbled himself into the form of a servant, all the way to the cross. Now, think about this, this stepping down. Where Christ was prior to incarnation, stepping down to become human, how big of a step down was that? Seriously, I want you to think it through. How big a step down? from where he was, to become human. If you step down from where you are to become a rat, or even an insect, do you think that if you step down from where you are to become an insect, you've taken a bigger step than what Christ took? The gap was bigger? Or that Christ took a bigger step down? Does this give us some insight? If we were made in his image, we were made to reveal him, how does he treat those of us so far beneath him? How should we relate? Is there a principle here on how we relate to creatures beneath us? This is out of Mind, Character, Personality, page 514. 
It is because of man's sin that the whole creation groans under the, uh, travails under the pain of, uh, pain together, Romans 8, 22. Suffering and disease were thus entailed not only upon the human race, but upon animals. Surely then it becomes man to seek, becomes man to seek to lighten instead of increasing the weight of suffering which his transgressions has brought upon God's creatures. He who will abuse animals because he has the, them in his power is both a coward and a tyrant. A disposition to cause pain, whether to our fellow man or to the brute creation, is satanic. Many do not realize that their cruelty will ever be known because the poor dumb animal cannot reveal it. But could the eyes of these men be opened as were those of Balaam, they would see the angel of God standing as witness to testify against them in the courts above. A record goes up to heaven, and a day is coming when judgment will be pronounced against those who abuse God's creatures. What do you think about this? There's some dark language there, but but it's very true. What's said here is true. There's nothing here that's, that's untrue. We understand what the records are, the records of our character. If you abuse animals, what happens to your character? What kind of person do you become? Your heart becomes hardened, and in the judgment you will be diagnosed accurately for the condition of what your heart is. Should we be developing tenderness and compassion to the animals? So, what are the principles you're hearing, God's principles? What are they? What, how do we apply them? Are we to be conserving and protecting the, the creatures beneath us, yes or no? So then, you answer me the following questions. Is this godly? Is this godly grace and mercy? Or is this satanic cruelty? Culling a deer population so they don't starve to death. Because there's, there's too many for the land they live in. Uh, godly mercy or satanic cruelty? Godly mercy. godly mercy. What about using mice and rats in lab experiments to develop treatments for disease to save more human lives? Satanic cruelty or godly mercy? Yes, but be sure to treat those rats as best you can. <laughs> and what about industrial farms raising animals in cages to slaughter for furs and food? That's satanic. <laughs> you see, do you see a difference? Yeah. Do you see how there can be an error on either side of this ditch? That you can go off into a, to a, a principle in which that you begin worshiping creation, and you and it would be you, you treat an animal with the same um, moral value as a human. But you can go off in another ditch where you become a tyrant to abuse creation. What about people who treat animals better than humans? You know, when I, when I was growing up in the church I grew up in, there was a lady who, she had pet poodles. She loved those poodles. And she had a couple boys my age. I mean, you know what I'm talking about, don't you, Mom? Mom knows exactly what I'm talking about. And we would ride around with her. We'd ride around with her because uh, the boys and we would, we would play together. And she would uh, sometimes take us to get ice cream at the like a Dairy Queen type place with the soft serve ice cream. Okay, And she would get one, and we'd get one, and she'd lick her ice cream. And then she'd hand it over for one dog to lick off her ice cream cone. But then she would lick in between before she let the other dog lick off her ice cream cone. <laughs> okay, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Yes, exactly. She loved those dogs. Yeah, they were like human babies to her. Yeah. You know, sometimes, I hope you understand when I say this, sometimes animals are much easier to love than people. Isn't there truth in that? Yeah. She says the devil sees to that, yeah. I was speaking to a pastor in Africa, though, and he said, based on how the lifestyle is over there, treating an animal real well and like feeding animals is actually a sin to them when you consider how many people are starving and suffering in their country. I can see how they could see that. Sure. We're going to let kids starve while we pamper a poodle. I can see that. Second paragraph, Wednesday's lesson says in the middle of the paragraph, in other words, people just want more and more. The only place they can get it ultimately is from the earth. Using natural resources, though, isn't the problem. Instead, the problem is that no matter how much a person gets, it's never enough. When was the last time you heard someone, no matter how wealthy, saying they had enough? Talking about human selfishness. I remember a movie, maybe some of you saw it, called The Matrix. And in the movie, there was a character called Mr. Smith, who was, a, who was a, uh, basically a machine. 
a machine representation. And he was dealing with a human uh, named Morpheus. And he said to Morpheus that, uh, that he's studied humankind and he knows that humans are the problem. That they take and they take and they take and they give nothing back. And that they're like a virus, a cancer that is destroying the earth. And that the cure is to rid the earth of humans. Now, it was obviously uh, a movie, but is, is he articulating an, a, a truth? That this principle of taking, taking, taking that humans do is destroying the earth. Well, this is out of Desire of Ages, page 20. Sin has marred God's perfect world, yet the handwriting remains. Even now all created things declare the glory of his excellence. There is nothing save the selfish heart of man that lives unto itself. No bird that cleaves the air, no animal that moves upon the ground, but ministers to some other life. There is no leaf of the forest or lowly blade of grass, but has its ministry. Every tree and shrub, leaf pours forth the element of life with, without which neither man or animal could, could survive. And she goes on to describe that everything ministers to something else except the selfish heart of man. And I think the movie was actually describing this principle, this selfishness to an extreme, taking, 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 is exactly what viruses do on, an, on, a, on a biological level. What a virus does, it will enter a cell, it will take over the machinery of the cell, instruct the machinery of the cell to do one thing. Me, 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 more of me. It makes virus, 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 re- replicates itself, 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 till the cell that it's doing it in dies. And when that cell dies, it ruptures and lets that virus infect all the cells around it. And those cell cells get taken over and start making more and more of the virus until they die and then infect the cells around them and so on and so on. If something doesn't stop the virus, it will ultimately destroy the host and ultimately itself. This is an accurate representation of what sin does. Sin is all about self, taking, 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 taking. And it's, it's the polar opposite of God's design of the principle of giving and love. And it ultimately results in death. Thursday's lesson, it says at the top, and this is quoting from Genesis chapter 1, 26-28, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let, us, let them have dominion over the fish and the sea, and over every fowl in the air, and over the cattle, and over the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful, and multiply, and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish and the sea and over the fowl and the air and over the every living thing that moveth upon the earth. How complete do you believe humankind, mankind, Adam's dominion was over the earth before sin? How much dominion? What do you think it meant to have dominion before sin? Eat and take care of. Thoughts. Let your imagination go. Let your sanctified imagination start really going here. You were made in God's image. Let them have dominion. What could they... What, think about this, yes. Doesn't he begin the process of sharing in the creation aspect of things even? I mean, being a partner and, and changing and organizing. Okay, I like that. So, so we've, we've read uh, earlier from one of Bible commentators about how Satan used his ingenious methods of amalgamation to change God's creation in destructive ways. Could Adam have, if he had not fallen, use his ingenious methods of creative genius to further develop in positive ways aspects of God's creation that God himself hadn't yet put on the earth? I mean, we hybridize different species and things now. Could Adam have been maybe doing some of those things? I like what you're saying. Yes. Uh, In Patriarchs and Prophets, it states that uh, Adam held converse with every plant and animal. I mean, think about that, conversing with a plant. And then what, what might have been possible uh, had, not, had they not fallen? Think it through. You know, I, 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 we take little hints, like the one about the amalgamations. I like the one in the story of the book of Job. When God's hand was removed and Satan was given freedom, a storm came, indicating that Satan, when he's not restrained, remember, who, where did Satan get authority on the earth from? No, he didn't get it from God. God did not give him authority. God gave Adam authority. He stole it from Adam. Remember, he tricked Adam. And when Adam followed him, Adam's authority was transferred and given over to Satan. And so Satan now has power to create storms. Do you think Adam, prior to sin, had power to change weather? 
change temperature. I mean, th- things like this. Do you think he had telepathic control over inanimate nature? He could just move rocks and things around just by looking at it and so forth. Do you think he could? Well, remember, he represents God in the microcosm of earth. This earth is a theater, a lesson book to angels and to men. They represent the Godhead. Everything else represents the rest of creation in the universe. I suspect they had untold powers on earth prior to the fall. Unbelievable powers. Could they fly? Wouldn't surprise me at all. And not with wings. With some ability to to control the physics of, of earth that we don't even comprehend right now. It's fascinating to think about, isn't it? Yeah. And if you're not sure about that, just remember, again, here's some evidence. Did Satan take Christ and boom, top of the top of the temple? Did they put a ladder up and they climb that thing together? No. Okay? Satan took Christ, boom, top of the temple. I think he remember, he's he's usurped Adam's authority on earth. Christ came to reclaim Adam's authority on earth for, for humankind. And he's done that. So I, I think we, we know not even a tip of the iceberg when we are restored fully to God's design. When earth is restored fully to God's design, what this new earth will be like. I has not seen, nor ear heard, nor entered into the heart of man what God has in store for us. Isn't this going to be exciting? So let your imagination sometimes uh, you know, run a little wild there on some of these. And we call sanctified imagination, right? Yeah, in, in healthy paths. Any closing comments or questions? Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your kingdom, your kingdom of love, your principles of love, for the way you design and create, for the freedoms that you give us, for the truth about who you are. Lord, we ask that you will send your agencies from heaven, your angels to hold back evil forces, your spirit to transform and rewrite your law of love into our hearts and minds. And, and we pray that we can see past the complacency, the darkness of this world, that we can have a vision of what your ideal is for, for our own lives and, and for how we can serve you best, and that we can step forward in faith and confidence in you to fulfill the purposes you've called us for. We pray in your holy name. Amen.